Support the Amigos podcast and keep the Amiga goodness flowing for just a dollar a month. Visit our page at patreon.com slash Amigos podcast. Amiga, the first personal computer that gives you a creative edge. Amigos, the podcast about everything Amiga. Amigos is a proud member of the Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dowdy and John Bodokar Schaller. Hi everybody, welcome to Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And this week we're going to talk about Moonstone, a hard day's night. But before we do, uh, we've got a couple other things to get around to. Uh, I was approached uh, virtually last week. That sounds kind of creepy. Through email by um, a guy named Jarleth Reedy. And I may be pronouncing his name wrong, and it may actually not be a guy. I don't know. what it, When you think Jarleth, what do you think of? Um, uh, the Labyrinth. Okay. Remember that guy, Jarleth? That's close. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe it's him. Yeah, that was David Bowie. So not if it is, that would be. <laughs> anyway, he uh, he asked us uh, if we would review a new Amiga magazine called Amiga Bill, and um, and I said sure. And so he bought us a copy and sent it to us. Thank and, you, by the way. Yeah, and uh, we appreciate that. Uh, we're always happy to review any hardware, software, or uh, periodicals. Yeah, we never really um, talk about that much, but if if anyone wants like. Or if you have like a, a game you've made, or uh, uh, you know, like I said, we're we're really pretty much open to suggestions and magazines. Yeah, I mean, I'd heard of this magazine, but I hadn't looked at it, so it was nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, he uh, emailed that that PDF to us, and um, we uh, looked at it. And uh, I guess you know, we'll we'll both talk about it in turn because we haven't talked about it uh, amongst ourselves yet. Uh, you know, I'll kind of give my pros and cons and a, a few suggestions, and then Aaron can uh, do the same, um, or you can just jump in whenever. Uh, Sounds like me. The the um, one of the pros I thought was that it's it's substantial. Uh, when you print this thing out, it's thirty six pages, and uh, I always think about magazines like um, oh, there was one called Classic Gamer Magazine. Uh, that was around back in the late 90s and early 2000s. It was a, a Chris Cavanaugh joint. And uh, he, he uh, I think those issues were probably around the same length. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot. Uh, it's in full color. Um, you know, the, uh, it's laid out like a magazine. It's not just, you know, pages of text. It's, it's, it's laid out in a uh, visually uh, stimulating way like, like any good magazine is. Um, it's got, uh, it starts out with news. It's got, you know, a lot of the stories that we've talked about on the show. Um, and, uh, you know, just little, little blurbs about things going on in the Amiga scene. Uh, there's a nice amount of reviews, uh, and, uh, there's some interesting features in the back. Uh, there's a story on whatever happened to Amiga Anywhere. Yeah, that, um, I, I, I'd never heard of that. Yeah, me neither. And that was, that, I thought that was, uh. I was, I you know, again, I'd never heard of it, so it was interesting just to find out about it. You know? Right, and uh, and then there was also kind of an opinion column on whether uh, Hyperion, uh, who are the owners of OS four, if they should port it to uh, x86, you know, Windows machines. Um, so that was a, uh, 
you know, those are the pros. The pros is that, you know, it, the, the, the content, uh, the idea behind the content I thought was really good. Um, you know, if you were going to sit down and think about what do I want to have in an Amiga magazine, I'd want to have news, I'd want to have reviews, I'd want to have features. Mm-hmm. And he hits all three. Um, for me, the, the negatives um, mostly come from uh, the fact that he's trying to do a lot of this by himself. Um, Almost all of them. Yeah, right? I think there might have been one submitted article, but the rest of it was all him. And it's this guy. Um, I couldn't find. I think his name is is his name Brian. Do you remember? I don't. I don't remember Ben or Brian. But he doesn't. He doesn't make a big deal. He doesn't put his name in, yeah. in big bold type. Um, but uh, anyway, he you know he's he's putting all this together himself. And uh, this month he's uh, because of the amount of work involved. He says that he he's uh, he he wants to charge for it. And he's charging two pounds. Uh, an issue. Uh, the rationale behind that is that um, you know he wants to attract feature writers, basically, and the prospect of money, uh, understandably, would lure more feature writers to his his periodical. And I'm sure he 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 wants you know a little monetary reward for the amount of work that he puts in it. Um, but the the thing that the magazine really uh, where it really falls short is kind of a, a lack of proofreading a lack of copy editing uh there are many typos uh many of the sentences just don't read like they should read um and uh, in, in in some cases i actually wondered if this was a person that was you know kind of like the amicast you know polish dudes that still do an, an english you know have an english presence but you can tell that it's not the first language but this is coming from the uk so this it's not the case i really think that it's just because of all the work and all the hours he spends putting this together, he just doesn't have the time to to proofread as much as he probably should. A one man band. I mean, it's if you look at the content that he wrote, it's uh, an, an enormous undertaking. And if you consider this is the fourth issue, I believe. Uh, you know, I don't know how big the other three were, but I'm, I'm assuming they're the same size. That's a tremendous amount of, <laughs> of writing. And really, if you think about it, uh, I don't know what the uh, Conversion from two pounds was that about three bucks, something like that, American, something like that. He's not going to get rich if even if he's charging, uh, you know, money for it. So if he's trying to lure in some people with professional writers, it's not the worst idea, you know. Uh, uh, it's tough to write a whole magazine by yourself every month, you know, almost by yourself. So yeah, um, and uh, those are so those are the the pros and the cons. Aaron, do you, do you have anything else you'd like to bring up? Yeah, you know, I I like the magazine overall. Um, boy, it's great to have an Amiga magazine for starters. I, I just think it's great. I know there are a couple other ones out there. You know, uh, I'm a cheap guy, <laughs> so I don't really. I pick up an occasional retro gamer, uh, but it's not obviously an Amiga magazine per se. But uh, you know, and uh, over in the states, we've got Jack Squat. So, uh, but uh, uh, I liked I liked the retro uh, uh, ads. I thought those were amusing. Uh, they were odd. They weren't like what I thought they would be. I mean, like it was like it wasn't just like games. I don't mm-hmm. think there were any game ads. It was no. all like uh, utilities, right? Um, the, I thought the uh, game reviews were pretty meticulous. I didn't necessarily agree with them. I believe the uh, I was a, I think it was a, was a deluxe Pac Man he reviewed. Uh, it was Pac-Mania. one of the Pac Pac Mania. Mm-hmm. He had that. The gentleman had that uh, listed as a uh, uh, a better game than say. Uh, Prince of Persia, that was one of the comics. I think Prince of Persia for the Amiga is one of the better versions, frankly. Uh, but uh, that's nickel and dime stuff. That's just opinion. But uh, I thought, I mean, he really, you could tell 
he didn't just sit down and reel off a couple things of crap and say, here's your review. I mean, this, this guy went to work, which I appreciate that. The article he had comparing um, the future of the operating systems, I thought, as someone who comes from the outside on that, and boat, I think, will be about the same uh, in the same boat, uh, so to speak, as I am. Um, I thought it was interesting. I, all the options that he listed that were out there, um, <laughs> it's hard to follow some of that stuff because it's just I'm just it's so foreign to me. Uh, but it was interesting, you know. He had a little blurb on the uh, on the uh, uh, the leaking of that code uh, last was it two months ago. Now that it mm-hmm. happened, that was interesting. And anyone, and part of it was like, should that even be? Uh, not give it away, you know, and, and and those are all viable questions, and I appreciate that stuff. I mean, I will say this: it was uh, this wasn't surface level stuff. I mean, he he really went after some, I thought, some pretty deep issues. Yeah, he wasn't just copying and pasting from you know different Amiga news sources. All of the the news that he had, that's our kinda, gimmick. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we do. Um, he you know he actually weighed in with some some really nice opinions. Um, you know you could tell that he thought about each one of the things that he was talking about. And he also had the, I don't the uh, he had a, a very long article on his history. I mean detailed history yeah. of everything he'd ever owned and building all the way up to the computer. And I you know I'm a sucker for that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I read that I'm like oh that's interesting you know. Uh, so I, I, overall you know uh, uh, I thought it was a, a pretty good read. Yeah. And I like Boat said. There was obviously some uh, uh, typos and some sentences that probably need to be reworked. But again, when you're the only guy in town, uh, and take it from me, I'll just start going to work and not think twice about it. I'll look back and see what I wrote and be like, what the hell was that? You know, <laughs> Good God Almighty. You typing with your feet? You know, so so I'm, I will say this. If I tried to put together an entire magazine, it would be much worse than this. This is pretty good. I think there's uh, room for improvement, but there always is. And overall, you know, I, I give it a, a marginal thumbs up. Yeah. A couple bucks. I don't think it's a bad deal. No, and, and I mean, I think that, you know, I, I, I just have a, a couple suggestions that I wanted to run by you to see if you thought they were a good idea. All right. Um, the first one is, you know, you've got all this ad space. Why not contact the myriad uh, hardware makers, websites that do commerce and Amiga, and see if they wouldn't mind placing an ad or two to you know in your magazine. If you want to put ads in, you know the vintage ads are cool, but how cool would it be to have a magazine that all of the ads are actually you know relevant to the Amiga scene as it exists now? That had occurred to me. It's not the worst idea here, but I, I can see a couple angles you can run on that too. You're going to be hard pressed to get advertisers to pay your magazine when it's. I mean, I don't know what his readership is, but I'm guessing it's not huge, right? What you could do, though, is just say, listen, if you'll make up an ad, I'll put it in here for free. Exactly. All I'd like you to do is just say, you know, see our ad in, 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 the, in the magazine. Right. You know, right. and, and you could swap, uh, swap ads. You know, there are plenty of good uh, uh, people that are into the Amiga that just write beautiful things on forums and stuff. You mm-hmm. might be able to, like, look one of these guys up and get, get opinion pieces. You know, go to the forums. Uh, and and see what people you know a lot of people are more than happy to give away their writing skills you know to fill in some time so you might be to go that route I think is the again I'd only marginally heard of this have you heard of it at all before you got that email no no I'd heard of it I mean it's only issue four I think once the name gets out there um, having people submit articles won't be as difficult frankly mm-hmm. uh, I think there are a lot of talented writers that are into the Amiga and uh, you know I see stuff all the time. And uh, on, like I said, in forums or on web pages. So I, I think there's probably a, a people to get into the magazine. And I think, you know, people say the magazine business is dead. Uh, the uh, 
it's all old news by the time you get it. I will say uh, his stuff was mostly very current. And uh, with Amiga, yeah, a couple weeks, a month, you're still in the ball game. The thing's been gone forever. Right. right. So it's not like there's breaking news every day. Trust right. me, I know. I check out the news every day, and there's right. not a lot going on most <laughs> yeah, of the time. You're right. So I think so. Overall, yeah, I think that's a good suggestion. Um, and then the other one is, um, you know, you're you're making this magazine based on a, a classic computer system that you know even now still makes money. You know, people are producing new hardware. You know, accelerators and things like that. Exciting new um, hardware. You know, the people are still eager for a physical thing and i think that you're leaving money on the table by not at least offering the option to get a printed copy in the mail and i did some research there is a there is actually a, a few different sites the one that i looked at the most is called MagCloud, and uh you can actually just upload your pdf there and uh and you can charge whatever you want for of course MagCloud gets a cut but uh, they will send, you know, your issue, you know, it's a print-on-demand thing. You know, whenever somebody buys one, they print it out and send it to really? somebody. Really? Yeah. How expensive is it? Did you have to look? I didn't look at the prices. I think, it, you know, like everything, it has to do with volume, however many, you know, you want to, you, you're charging versus, you know. But I, you know, if you could charge, you know, 10 bucks, you know, and even if MagCloud got eight and you got the two that you were charging for the PDF version anyway, it's a win-win. Yeah, I mean... I, I know you said you printed yours out. I, I read mine uh, on on a computer. I hate reading magazines on a computer. Yeah, I know it's, it's I know it's stunning, stunning revelation. <laughs> but uh, and I'll tell you something else. I I, I set I I brought a, I bought a copy of a Retro Gear magazine over here to look at with Boat. You know I don't know, and I know you guys get a better deal overseas, but we're paying. I paid uh, what was it like thirteen bucks, right? Which yeah. is a ludicrous amount, y'all, mm-hmm. uh, for this magazine. But I enjoy the magazine. It's a well done magazine. I don't buy every issue. I can't. It's mm-hmm. too expensive. That much said, uh, for uh, something like Amigaville, you know, you've got a lot of area to play with there. Mm-hmm. If you're if you get this thing out the door for six bucks printed somewhere, it's not bad. A fully printed magazine somewhere. I mean, so it, I think at least uh, you know maybe maybe just make that option available on the site or whatever. Not the worst idea. That's not a bad idea. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So anyway, we wish you luck. And uh, if you have any, uh, you know, if you'd like to get back with us about any of these suggestions, then uh, let us know. Yeah, um, good luck. And, and everyone, check it out. You know, see for yourselves. You know, don't take our word for it. Uh, go have a look. Yeah, just Google Amigaville. It'll pop right up. Um, next, we have, and this is becoming a, a <laughs> weekly feature on the show. This isn't about the plastics again, is it? <laughs> that was our old feature. What do you got now? <laughs> this is uh, news about... The uh, Amiga 500 currently sitting across the basement from oh, me. Oh, yes. Um, the, the saga the continues. Saga continues. Uh, this is, um, you know, last week we talked about, um, oh, what did we talk about last week? We talked about the Malaysian diodes. Yes. Um, yes. I, uh, we got uh, some feedback uh, on the blog that talked about, uh, you know, why don't you guys get one of those, you know, Indivision scan doublers and stuff like that. Money. And, uh, but yeah, that's what it comes down to. 71, I think there's 71 euros, 71 pounds. Any way you slice it, you can get a used 500 all day long for about 200 bucks. So you're paying about twice, or you're paying about half the cost of the console just to hook it up to a monitor. Uh, I can't deal with that. So it hurts. Uh, but we have come up with a solution. Maybe. 
<laughs> we came up with two solutions. Yeah. Tell them about the first so one. So the first <laughs> solution was I was browsing the English Amiga boards, as I want to do. <laughs> and uh, they uh, there was this one guy that just randomly posted, hey, I've got a Dell 2100 FP, I think is the, the model number. And uh, it accepts composite input and uh, in... And, it, and you can, and it, I guess it has, you know, if you have an RGB to VGA cable, uh, it will work. It will, it will scan down to 15, is it 15 hertz? 15, I think 15.7. Yeah. And so, um, and so I said, it's wow. It's kilohertz. Yeah. Is it kilohertz or hertz? I think it's, I think it's kilohertz. I know kilohertz is the audio thing. Like we record 44 kilohertz. Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway. It's the one we don't got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I said, well, that, that sounds great. You know, we, if we can get the monitor and that will scan down, we don't have to buy any extra equipment other than the cable. Um, and uh, so, you know, plus I won't have to, you know, carry my Atari monitor back and forth between the two tables. Yeah. So, um, I went on there and I ordered it was seventy one bucks including shipping. What a which deal! Wasn't bad. Unfortunately, I got an email a couple days later saying that the item was not in stock, and that happens a lot when you purchase from Amazon resellers. You know, they just throw up everything, and yeah. if something goes out of stock, sometimes it's not there. That sucks. Yeah. So I was disheartened, but um, resolute. Yeah. And so instead, uh, I actually have an extra flat panel monitor that's currently hooked up to my PC. Um, that is a square monitor, so it's old school, and uh, oldish. Yeah, <laughs> it's oldish. Uh, and then we we discovered that there's this thing. It's called a RGB, uh, etc. To VGA <laughs> HD video converter board. Uh, the GBS eighty two hundred is it's what it's mostly, I believe, for arcade monitors. Yeah, yeah. It's so you could hook up an arcade monitor to a computer, um, but it also works with the Amiga with some slight tweaking. Um, and so uh, I ordered one of those. It was, uh, I think, it was sixteen bucks plus a dollar fifty shipping from good, Taiwan or good, Hong Kong. Good deal. Oh, you got the you, you didn't pay the extra couple of bucks to get one from the U.S. No, no. no okay, no. we'll see if the diodes beat that in. <laughs> uh, it's apparently coming between. I think they said like February or February 29th to March fifteenth. It's pretty pretty big window there. <laughs> Depends on how the seas are going. <laughs> right. Uh, so we will do a video that uh, lays all that. You know, once we get it, there's some soldering involved. Yeah, to, to, and, to, to just briefly elaborate on how it's going to go. I picked up a cable today, uh, just a plain uh, uh, 23 pin to not, 23 pin uh, female to nine pin male. I think it doesn't matter. The nine pin doesn't matter. Uh, I'm going to use. I'm going to pull the signals off that. I, you know, stupid me. I've done a lot of arcade stuff over the years and hooking arcade machine monitors up to PCs and vice versa. I never really paid attention to what the out what the Amiga outputted. I really didn't. I thought it was just some wacky stuff. It, put, it outputs red, green, blue, and a sink and a ground. That's all you need. Which you know, one, two, three, four, five, five pins off that twenty-three pins. Most of the pins on that twenty-three pin connector are empty. Uh, there's a lot of grounds, and then and then, but my, the majority of them are empty. Why they went? Why are they on God's name that they went for 23 pins? The wackiest, because <laughs> no one uses this, folks. Trust me on this. And most people nowadays are taking a, a excuse me, 25 pin DB 25s and just cutting off two pins. You know what you could do. But what we're going to do is just uh, we're going to use this the monitor cable. I'm going to dis I'm going to disassemble the nine pin side and run the wiring in a beautiful way into this board that we've got. So it will it will be as aesthetically pleasing as the rest of this monster <laughs> when we get it done. Will it work? Maybe. I'm kicking myself because I looked into this years ago as an output 
I mean, years and years ago, because I was thought about hooking Amiga up to, a, um, I don't know why, but to an arcade mod. I was into arcade stuff big time. And I never followed through. But it's the same exact board. They're cheap. They're like Boat said, they're made in the deepest, darkest pits of the Orient. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And like he said, we'll shoot a video on it and see if we can blow it up this time. Yeah, so uh, look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, look forward to that. Fireworks. <laughs> and uh, finally. I've uh, got something too. Well, not let, finally. Let me just jump in okay. right here. This is just a little blurb. Uh, you, a lot of people know that I'm, I'm into the uh, uh, Retro Gaming Asylum. I think Boat listens to their podcast. Great podcast. Great podcast. Much better than this one. Oh, man. And, and those guys are, uh, I love guys that are like, really passionate. And, and they can sit around talking about Double Dragon for the Amstrad for like an hour, you know, which I can't do. That much said, uh, they uh, a spinoff of their podcast, they do a lot of videos, and one of the guys on there is doing an A to Z of Amiga CD32 titles. Wow. So as of the recording of this show, um, they've done Akira, which is dreadful, and Alfred Chicken, which is pretty good. Uh, and they're very well done videos. Uh, I'm a I'm a CD32 guy, love it, you know, I, for what it is, uh, and they're going to go through all the titles, and they're not cranking these things out, but they're getting you know one every week or two, and uh, they're they're real well done, well produced videos. So if you just go over to uh, YouTube, search for Retro Gaming Asylum. We'll put a link up. Is it? I think it's just Retro Asylum. Retro so. Asylum. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting two podcasts mm-hmm. coming. But look for Retro Asylum, or just look for Retro Asylum CD32. It'll take you right to it. We'll link it up. But it's it's, it's worth a look if you're into that sort of thing, which I am. Yeah. And then finally, um, speaking of uh, new podcast endeavors, um, Aaron, I know you're a big Odyssey 2 guy. Yes. Yes, I love the O2. Uh, there is a brand new podcast done by um, my buddy Earl Green. Uh, he is uh, starting this thing called Select Game. And uh, it, <laughs> I know why it uh, it covers the the Odyssey two, and uh, it's a lot about his memories with Odyssey two because that was his his main console growing up. Yep, that was my main console growing up before I got a computer. Uh, my dad, they were very cunning. If I, I know the Odyssey two, this is a little bit off topic, but Odyssey two was a, as a console, and I guess it got released overseas. I I I, I know it was big in Brazil. I'm not sure what the European release was. I mean, it was Magnavox made it. And uh, it had a membrane keyboard. That was its. That, and so, Dad, my dad bought me that with the um, impression that it would be good for school. Education. Very clever, these people. <laughs> I can tell you, if you've ever used a membrane keyboard, they're crap. And this <laughs> membrane keyboard was a crappy one. So, it was super crap. But uh, the Odyssey had very limited abilities. It had hard, hard-wired joysticks. Don't do that. Uh, go, and it had... Uh, um, one guy made almost every game for it. Uh, he was very good. He was a very clever man, if you consider what he had to work with. Uh, but uh, that should be an interesting podcast uh, to, to uh, listen to. I know if you've ever heard, if you ever listened to another po- show called uh, um, uh, Now You're Playing with Podcasts, they went through and literally in, in uh, one night or in a couple episodes, did every, we went and played every game. So if you want a brief synopsis of every game, I think there's, that's also on YouTube. I think we, we can stick that up there as well. Uh, but I mean, this is a, the briefest of synopsis. They go through them in a hurry, so I'm, yeah, I'm this sure is, Earl this is will much, really go to work yeah. on these because these guys. I mean, they went fast. They weren't going to spend a whole lot of time with it, but it was interesting to, to and they even talked to the guy that programmed them. Uh, and the Odyssey has a, a voice modulator on it, which was neat. If you if you pick that up, I don't have it because they're expensive, but I'd like to get one. It's an interesting little console. Um, 
if you're into that sort of thing, mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be a good a good show. Yeah. I'll definitely check that one yeah, out. Yeah, and um, what's really cool is that he actually sits there and he's playing the game while he's talking. Mm. And so you get the sounds of the system, you know, behind it. Such as they are. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> But um, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out, help promote uh, the, you know, the retro podcast scene because it's great. Good luck, girl. Uh, it's time. It's time. Wow. It's time to talk about Moonstone. All right. A Hard Day's Night. I think that this was our longest uh, introductory segment of all time. We are almost 25 minutes into oh, the podcast. Well. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed all of that, uh, <laughs> all of that nonsense, but we're going to talk about the game now. Uh, Moonstone, A Hard Day's Night, is um, it's a game <laughs> that defies easy classification. Um, it's kind of a side-scrolling beat-em-up thing it's kind of it's got role-playing elements in it it's got an overhead map um it was released in 1991 and uh it was uh converted to dos later but it was originally for the for the amiga and um i've not heard good things about the dos version but i haven't seen it yeah i haven't seen it either i, I don't, music I don't concern cool. myself i mean can you think of any games just offhand where the dos version was a, a lot better than the amiga version it was stuff that was released like years later, like say Defender of the Crown, they yeah. got a pretty good version. Yeah, but for like contemporary releases, the Amiga version almost Which, always. That while you're thinking about it, when you're talking about how to classify this game, I, the closest I could come is a Defender of the Clown. Uh, the Clown, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Defender of the Crown and Archon had a child. Yeah, you know something like that. It's yeah, I think, think that's, that's that's pretty good. Um, and uh, it allows up to four <laughs> players to play. Um, and there's, uh, so you've got kind of a strategic overhead map, just like Fender of the Crown, uh, except you are granted unlimited freedom of movement. Uh, you're not, it's not a hex-based thing. You're actually walking, and it's really cool because um, as you're walking through the, the world, there's like a set number of, there's a set distance you can traverse. Yeah. Once you hit that distance, boom, your turn Turns is over. over. Yeah. Um, and so we'll, we'll talk about, you know, that a little bit more later on. Um the story behind the game, you know, just like a lot of Amiga games, it has fantastic intro. Oh, it, uh, some people say the best. Yeah, uh, very well animated. Um, and uh, the uh, the story is that you are a knight, and uh, you're called by this uh, druid organization. You know, you go up to Stonehenge, and they send you out on this quest to get this uh, moonstone. Uh, and you do this by wandering around the world uh, and, you know, killing monsters, doing battle with other knights, uh, going into villages and, uh, you know, upgrading your equipment. Gambling. Uh, gambling. <laughs> Which um, I thought was awesome. Yeah, and so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's basically what the game is. Um, you get XP, you get gold, you can upgrade your abilities. Um, it's a... Uh, it's, for a, a game that the the action is so well, I don't even want to call the action simplistic. The action part of the game is a small part of the game compared to all the other things you can do, or at least an equal part. Um, and uh, so, but anyway, uh, you've got to find the layer that has one of the four keys. Once you get all the keys together, then you can go into the Valley of the Gods in the center of the map. And then you've got to beat a final boss to win the Moonstone. Um, and then once you return the, the Moonstone to Stonehenge, the game's over. That's the game. Um, what did you think of the game, Aaron? Well, <clears throat> I'd never heard of this. 
Uh, I, I mean, if I if I had, I didn't remember it. <clears throat> uh, this was a suggestion that we tried, and when Boat said, "Give this a shot," I was like, "Okay." I honestly, I was not ready for what it was. And then the uh, I watched the opening. And I was like, "Man, that's a pretty good opening." But a lot of Amiga games have great openings, and they you know, kind of fizzle. Blood man. Uh, how dare you? <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, the uh, you watch, the opening is so nice, and then. You you know you pick your knight, which is cool. You always get out, and you get to name your knight. I like this. It's a little touch. Yeah, yeah. Little flourishes if you want. And then uh, the map is really nice. And if you consider what resolution you're working with there, there's a lot on that map. It's a huge map. It's a huge map. And there's a lot going on in that map. Um, so <clears throat> I just do what I usually do in a game like this. I don't read any documentation. I'll try to figure out what's going on. I just go for it. And then I was. Uh, I went to a, uh, a shrine. I uh, walked on the screen, and then I was instantly smashed into into little chunks of meat by this huge like troll guy. I was like, "What the heck just happened to me?" And I mean, what I like about this game, I have to say, I'm not gonna lie, I like, I really like the game. I'm not good at it yet, but I really like it. The guys that put this together had a had a vision, right? They and they they really thought outside the box. And the thing is, it's not a it's not that complicated a game, but it is. It's not that. I mean, the combat in this is it's sort of similar to Lionheart in a, in a, in the fact that you you don't just hit the button and your guy just uses. I mean, this guy your guy has moves, sword right. moves. Right. So when you're in the combat portion of this thing, and it's not like you just can't go out there and swing like a maniac and win. You're going to get slaughtered because mm-hmm. these monsters are brutal. Yeah. There's a couple monsters that they just get hold of. You're dead. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter how many hit points you got or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to become a master of these moves. And the moves work pretty well. Uh, I didn't work well with the moves, but the moves, I tried to do something, it would do it. Mm-hmm. And it's all about timing. Yeah, the timing is important. The moves and position. Are, yeah, position. The moves are very well animated. Um, you know, when you do the, you can do an upward thrust, you know, and then, you know, the, the, all the different There's a back strikes. thrust, right. which is interesting. Um, it's, it's very well done and it's deep, which you don't expect all the time. I didn't expect it at all. I'm mean, honestly, I was, this, I've never been blindsided. I mean, this one, really, it's a lot like cannon fodder. At least I'd heard of cannon fodder. This, I had no idea. I couldn't believe how. And it, it does, or I mean like the, the, I don't know if you looked at the box art for this game. Awesome. And uh, and and it looked. I liked it actually. I looked. I liked the I way thought, it looked. Well, I thought the guy looked kind of goofy. He. And I mean, so, no, it, I like the color scheme yeah. and stuff. Though it was it was unique looking. And I mean, I, I'm not against goofy it's looking. It's a little guys, goofy looking. Yeah. But it the the game is very graphic. Yes. Uh, it's for the time. It was very gory. Um, it's gory now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know when you when you kill somebody, sometimes blood will just kind of splurt out, yeah. of, out of them once they hit the ground. There's a lot of chopping off of heads, yeah, other limbs. Um, I watched a video of just people dying, and it went off for like ten minutes. <laughs> These guys didn't just put in a couple of those. I mean, there's a ton of yeah, yeah, brutal ways to get killed. And <laughs> one one thing that I, I like is that there is an option to turn the gore off if you want to. So even if you're a little bit squeamish about that kind of stuff, but you want to experience the game, you still have the options. But it's funny the reason that's in there. I, I did a little digging, and we talked about a website. What was that? There was like a. It was like a. It was a website. It's basically a shrine of this game. I think it's been around f- since forever. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of interesting stuff. But they had interviews with uh, two of the main principals that worked on the game. Um, the uh, uh, the uh, one of the fellows was named Todd uh, Prescott, and him him that fellow. 
and Rob Anderson did most of the of the game. They came up with the concept. They did a lot of program. They got help from uh, from the uh, 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 the producers, but for the most part, they did a lot of the game. And the uh, this game was uh, banned in Germany. It was on the list. All right, the list. The list, and uh, was never released in the U.S. Really? Which that's that's, that's a why fact. we never heard of it. They went to uh, according to an interview with uh, with Rob. Uh, they went to Toys R Us, uh, who was, I think they said they were responsible for 25% of sales at the time. It's another world in these days. This is where Toys R Us actually carried PC and Mega software. And uh, uh, they tried to get the game out there, and they wouldn't carry it. And so they knew they were boned. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they decided uh, just to not release it in the U.S. But, uh, Mindscape just decided, and I guess it's Mindscape. It's not like this is a little Rudy Poo. You know, the, it's no fouling. This is a big this is deal. A big company. So yeah. they decided not to release. It. I think it even got released in Canada, I think, but not in the U.S. And so, when you don't have Germany in the U.S., the game sales were disappointing. But one of the reasons they put that the gore switch in there so they could try to get it the to you know in these other markets, but they weren't buying it. They didn't want to take a risk, right? You know, and at the time, if you consider '91, can you think of any game this gory? No. I mean, the gentleman that did this, again, from that interview, uh, they took inspiration from a game called Barbarian, Barbarian 2, which I remember these games very well. Do you remember the, either one of these? Mm-hmm. Very simple games where you just have two guys and you sword fight. And there are moves that you can do. It's all, And there are multiple moves in the game for sword fighting. But one of the moves you can do is spin around and chop off your opponent's head. And, he, you know, and I remember a little troll or something comes out and kicks it around like a soccer ball. You know, but they were good games, but they were they were basically a real rudimentary fighting game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, that's where they got. That's where they were inspired. I by. don't know if uh, something like Splatterhouse or Chiller. Those are TurboGrafx sixteen games. I don't know if those did, Splat, did Chiller get released for a home console. I thought that it. Did. I know it was in the arcade. Exidy, I believe, made it. Yeah, maybe uh, it was just arcade. I, I think. No, I know Splatterhouse absolutely got mm-hmm. released, but even it wasn't the same as the. There was an arcade version of that too, wasn't there? Maybe it came after the console. Again, consoles, that's your bag, not mine. Right. Um, so, but it, it, let's say there were one or two. But, I mean, I had a PC back then. I don't remember seeing anything this gory. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and I don't remember yeah. seeing anything on the Amiga. And the thing is, um, the gore fits the game. Like, you could say that Mortal Kombat is a fighting game that's built around a fatality, mm-hmm. which I think it sort of is. Yeah. Now, the fighting game is pretty good, but the fatalities, that's a big deal. Right. This is a game where the fatalities mesh perfectly with the game. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because when you're fighting somebody, and the art design stuff is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, of course, reading the interview, all the art was hand-drawn. And then, they, you know, with, with the deluxe paint, and then they, they pull it in the game. So, and you could tell. Everything, the, everything looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. The creatures are actually pretty disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That thing that comes up out of the ground, when that thing got me the first time, I was just like, holy smokes. <laughs> Another tidbit I got from the interview is they, they said they got all the uh, uh, sound effects from old movies. Really? Off v, v, VHS. And uh, Rob says he recalls that the movie they got almost everything up from was Red Sonja. If you remember the, that movie with uh, Schwarzenegger and uh, Bridget Nielsen, I think was her name. Uh, it was like a hack and slash sword okay. movie. You never seen this no, one? You never no, heard of this based no, on a comic? Never You're heard kidding of me. I'm, I'm baffled at that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, pretty interesting that, that they did that. You can tell this is the old days, you know, where a couple guys did all, most of the stuff. I looked over, just to give the credits where credit's due, um, Rob Anderson, 
uh, did did the design uh, along with Todd Prescott, like I mentioned. If you look at what they did, Rob Anderson did a game that I he did two games I really loved. That's why I wanted to mention it. One's called Fiendish Freddy's Big Top. Have you ever played that? No. We'll have to review that sometime, but it's a, it's sort of a, um, the best way to describe it is sort of a, 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 a games, like an Epic's Games game, but it's all based on stuff you would do at the circus. Trapeze. Okay. And, and, kind of like a Circus Charlie kind of deal. No, much wackier than mm. that. Uh, but, uh, oh yeah, I you know, yes, yeah, but I mean, much better graphics right. and blah, 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 blah. Right. He, he did another game called Techno Cop. And I remember Techno this one. Cop. I've mentioned this a few times because it was real kind of violent. Right, right. So that must have been this guy's bag, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the uh, really the standout on this stuff is the beautiful graphics, the gore, and then the music. The music's awesome, and the mm-hmm. guy that did it's the we've seen this guy's work several times now, Richard Joseph. Uh, and he, ironically, the funny thing I the reason I bring it up is he did Barbarian One and Two's oh. music. <laughs> he also did a, a game called uh, Death Sword, which was also mentioned as, as a, something that they Death used. Death Sword, what it is. And name. then he also, of course, did uh, Brutal Sports Football, Cannon Fodder, Chaos Engine. He did all the James Ponds. We've brought him up. He did a lot of Sensible games for Sensible. Uh, many, many games. Pages and pages and pages of games. So the music is top shelf. From the interview I, I read, they really didn't have much to say about the music. He just did it, but they liked it. They said it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, they also said they were in, they and uh, this was, came in both interviews. They mentioned that they were both they were inspired from a combination of Dungeons and Dragons, which they both played, uh, a game called Talisman, which I think is was a uh, sort of a successor to Dungeons and Dragons, made by the um, who are the people that make uh, um, uh, the miniature fighting? Oh, game. Uh, like uh, the Games Workshop. Yes, I think it was one of theirs. I think don't hold me to that. But they said a big chunk of their of the uh, inspiration from this was from a board game. And when I looked at the board, it, once they mentioned, I was like, "Darn, it is called Dark Tower." Do you remember Dark Tower? No. This was a game I used to have. This I think I still have most of it. But it was a, it was a game I think it was from Milton Bradley or might have been Parker Brothers. There's a there's a round map, and in the middle of it is a tower, and the tower is electronic. And it's got a keypad on it, and it, it tells you what you're doing that round. What, how many? It goes through. It has battles on this little like uh, display. It's an awesome game. It was a really elaborate, very expensive game. But when you look at the map, the map, and he points this out in the interview, it's identical to Dark Tower in a lot of ways. The round map splitting the force with the thing in the middle, and they said they used that uh, as a lot of their uh, uh, as, to get a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, to, so. It's a good amalgamation of all those things. I mean, really, if you, if you know the roots of what the game is, it, that's what it is. Right. <laughs> it's exactly so. I mean, it's amazing how well it translated. What did you think of the, uh, the various, you know, what did you think, the monsters, the, the map? What did you think about the whole experience? of? I mean, well, you know, they could have easily, whenever you went into the town or whatever, they could have easily just thrown up a generic text screen saying, yes. you know, buy, you know, sell, whatever. But they didn't do that at all in this game. You know, every screen has, um, you know, you see your equipment. It's graphically represented on the screen. When you go to the tavern to gamble, you've got, you know, a crowd of people around you. Uh, when you roll the dice, the dice show up that you roll. Uh, it's very, very cool. Um, the dragon, when it flies across the map, it's very graphically yes. impressive. I never actually fought the dragon. I could never get myself lined I up. I saw with a video it. of people fighting, and I never fought it either. I knew what would happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, the game is, uh, you know, it's difficult, but I felt like if I would put some time into it, that I, it would not be frustratingly difficult like a lot of the games that we play. Um, 
I liked, you know, the, being able to upgrade your equipment was great. Um, the one thing that I didn't like is that you don't have a very good representation of how much health you have at any given time. Yeah, um, that's I, I never really. When you you'll start, I think your your body stance changes, or maybe you'll start to flash or something when your when your health is getting low. But just putting up either you know hit points on the screen or having a life bar <laughs> or something would have helped me out a lot. Uh, of course. You know, it doesn't. And another thing that I, I thought was a little bit weird is that sometimes you'll go into a place, and you know, whenever you leave the map world to go into a battle area, uh, there are a set number of monsters that you have to defeat to get the treasure. And I swear, I must have beat twenty guys one time, and I still didn't get the treasure. You know, and, and it's I guess it's random. You know what's generated there, but it would be nice to have some idea of what you're going up against. So if you want to heal before you go back out, you can or something like that. Uh, you obviously are a better hand at this game than me. In fact, I did better the first time I played it than I've done since. Really? I don't. I don't know what happened. The uh, um, I want to be good at this game <laughs> desperately, and I'm going to. I plan on giving this uh, many more times of a whirl because it's it's a fun game. Uh, you know, the strategy, I mean, really, it all works. It's a complete game, mm -hmm. you know. Now, of course, I cheated and watched the ending uh, just to see what it looked like. And it's awesome. So if you haven't beaten this yet, don't cheat. Just because it's <laughs> worth, this is one of the few games that gives a good payoff as opposed to saying, good job, like sucker. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the story, that's almost the story is interesting. The, uh, it, I really, I, there are very few things I didn't like about it. Like you said, it's kind of, it's, it's, for me, it was difficult. Now, but that, but I, this, unlike, Previous games like a Lionheart, for example, or a couple others we've done, I thought I had a, a shot. I thought, okay, if I get better at this, I think I can have a shot at it. I didn't think it was overwhelmingly difficult. It's easy to pick up. And it's deep. I, I, the multiplayer, the, I thought of having four people play this as an out. We got to do that. It would be great. It's a great idea. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's a, one of the better games we've done. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Did you look at uh, any of the uh, the the resale stuff on eBay? I did. I looked this one up, and we have we have hit the the high water mark of eBay when it comes to our stuff. Um, again, there was no U.S. release on this, which that's not that unusual for an Amiga game. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think that the legend of this game has lived on, you know, because um, I was surprised. I, I don't know how I didn't hear about this. I really am baffled. Uh, but there's a lot of people that really talk about it and they're into it. Like I said, there's a, I saw a couple tribute sites, including the real nice one. We'll link it up. Um, the uh, with a, with no U.S., you're going to get overseas. That you'd have no choice. I saw one copy available. You ready for this? It was in the U.K. Uh, Six hundred and forty bucks. Wow. Now, now that much said, he's been listing this for many many months with no takers. However, I looked at the history of this and the few copies that have come up. Have went no less than one hundred and fifty dollars mm. U.S. So, if you've got a box copy of this sitting around, hold on to it like grim death because you're not going to get another one unless you pay the big dollars. Yeah. Uh, again, this wasn't a big seller, uh, which and I, I, looking at some of the information I found, uh, they had really they thought there would be a sequel, but it's, it did not sell well enough for the name to hold any weight or leverage to get a sequel out there, and they had thought about a sequel and it just didn't happen. So. That shows you how, you know, when you've got a game that's popular, but it's rare, it didn't sell well, recipe for big bucks. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. now, and our, did you see anything about um, 
remakes or upgrades. I, I saw a couple places where they listed ongoing projects, but they were all from the early 2000s. And as far as I could tell, there was nothing that had been completed. Oh. I even saw a simulated battle between these these new graphics depiction of, the, of two knights fighting. But mm-hmm. I, as far as I could tell, and if anyone's got any information that I haven't heard, let me know. But <clears throat> I couldn't see anything about a, a successful fan-made, uh, you know, port. Yeah, a lot of stuff just fizzles. I mean, I read my back issues of Retro Gamer going back to the you know the mid even the mid two thousands to so ten years ago now. And there's a ton of remakes and stuff that they, you know, they talk about are in development that never came to fruition. Now I feel like we live in a golden age of remakes because of platforms like Steam and the various phone app stores. It's really easy for, well, comparatively. You Plus know, your easy. Kickstarts and stuff yeah, is an easy way to go. Like Wings, the Wings game is a good example. I saw... I don't think that's something that's going to get remade unless you have some, uh, right. some kind of Kickstarter. Right. So, I mean, the time may be ripe for a Moonstone reboot. This know, this is one, you know, um, I was a big Archon. Right, I like Archon 2 is my favorite of the two. But that one, had they've tried to remake that over the years and kind of not done a good job. You know, but I, and I always thought, well, this is, this is a game that could really be made modernly and make it look nice. Moonstone is the game. I mean, I think it's such a variety of creatures to fight and the scenarios. I mean, this thing, you could add some, like I, one of the guys mentioned, he, they'd like to have had more monsters and more, you know, special items and whatnot. You could go through and really make this a big deal, use all that extra space, because it only came on three discs. This mm-hmm. isn't like an 11-disc game. Mm-hmm. You could go in there and fill a, a CD with content for this, you know, and man, go in there and maybe remix some of the original music. The music was great. You could have something. I honestly think you could release something that could get a lot of action. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm naive, but I think it could really make some money. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, Moonstone, two thumbs up. Yes, sir. Uh, And uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Will Williams, Daniel Bingston, O'Brien's Retro and Vintage, Brent Dowdy and Chad Halstead. this was actually a suggestion by O'Brien's yes. Retro Vintage. Good our, job. Our buddy in Norway. <laughs> uh, we thank him. Yes. And uh, if you'd like to uh, make a suggestion for a game, uh, then uh, we'd love to hear it. Uh, if you'd like to support our podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash amigos podcast. And I do want to make a special mention that up until earlier this week, the link was incorrect on Patreon. Oh, so who knows how many untold me. millions of dollars we've oh, lost out on it. That explains the empty coffers. <laughs> but uh, it. but I, I did fix that, so now the link actually is Amigos Podcast. Uh, and um, and so uh, you can head over there if you want to throw us a few bucks. And uh, other than that, next week uh, we are going to do another heavy, another heavy hitter in the Amiga scene. What are we going to do next week? Well, Aaron? we're going to tackle a little game called the Chaos Engine. I have uh, very little remembrance of this, but I know it was it's a pretty popular game, so I'm looking forward to getting back into it. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it, and uh, make sure you check out our YouTube channel for all the playthroughs and live streams and everything of this game. And we're also going to go back and uh, redo our Marble Madness and Lotus 2 streams because we had audio difficulties, uh, mostly stemming from my inability to operate our equipment at uh, that early stage in the let game. Let me tell you something, folks. Uh, <laughs> just a little pat on the back. Your boat has got this thing streamlined. With, with one small exception of getting the controls ready in the <laughs> emulators, which that seems to be a running gag, we've got a boat has done an excellent job. I mean, literally, I, he's he's the one-man band over here. I just kind of show up, blabber for an hour, and then, and then go home. So, I mean, he's got it really going. If you haven't checked out Boat's Amigos Play stuff, where he just plays these wacky games 
check those out because they're great. But uh, we're going to go through and try to fix some of these things out that we that we got screwed up the first time around. It should be fun. Yeah. So until next week, adios. adios.